What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, October 16th, 2022, and this week's episode, UFC 280, The True Lightweight King. We'll be talking about yesterday's UFC main event at UFC Vegas 62, the flyweight bout between Alexa Grasso and Viviani Araujo. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news. The December 10th pay-per-view has a title fight, but is it going to be the main event? We will talk about that in the middle of the show. And then finally, we will devote the rest of this episode to easily one of the most stacked cards in UFC history, really MMA history, UFC 280, two title fights, um, not even three. We're going to hit the prelims for featured bouts. You guys are not going to want to miss it, so stay tuned, strap in for all of the action. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Double G. Did you get rain? We got rain. I got just a bit of rain this week, I'm not going to yeah. lie. It, it was nice. I uh, I was glad to see it, and uh, you know, here's uh, to hoping we get a, a little bit more, but I bet I know where it's not raining. And uh, can you guess what I'm going to say? Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, baby, yep. I can tell you this. I did not have one cloudy day when I was in Abu Dhabi. Okay, yeah, quite the opposite, I bet. <laughs> it was, I'm not going to lie, it was kind of nice. It, it was just, it wasn't peak heat, so you didn't feel like the concrete and the steel was melting around you, but it, it was pretty warm. But I enjoyed it for that reason that I actually missed, you know, I thought it'd be closer to like, you know, the different, you know, it's October, it's cooling off. It's like, no, it's actually pretty nice right about now. So, but I digress. What's we'll you know, there's other no. episodes where I talk all about my trip to Abu Dhabi, but that's not we here do nor a there. special Abu Dhabi episode. Uh, no, I just, uh, I was happy to have some rain and I realized there wouldn't be there any there. Um, that's about it. I mean, it couldn't get more stacked. This, uh, this episode actually has me a little nervous because it's just so much that I want to make sure, you know, you want to make sure you, you, you're up to snuff on everybody and uh, it's just uh, stacked in a half card. I heard on, um, I think it was Morning Combat, not that I watch other MMA podcasts or anything. Of you course. Know, of course not. But uh, Chuck Mendenhall was on saying that some crazy record, something about if you take out Piotr Jan, just extract him for a moment from this lineup, going down to, I think, the first, the last two cards of the co- of the prelims, it's like 81 win- fight winning streak. Like the, the records combined are ridiculous. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, so we're, we're, we're in for a treat times uh, times infinity. And uh, that's that's uh, all I have to say about that. Oh, so Peter Young. Oh, yeah. So the whole car, Peter Young's like the only guy coming off an L, isn't Pretty he? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Peter, hey, Loki, how are you going to do that to Peter, though? Come know, on. Yeah, like. <laughs> He's so good. Uh, we'll talk about that, but um, look, we'll get into this. Let's all right. Let, let's uh, first off, before we pass go and collect two hundred, we got to stop by Boardwalk, UFC Apex last night. Flyweights Alexa Grasso, Viviani Araujo, um, five rounds, and I will say they were. What's the easiest way to boil down this fight? I was impressed by both women, but at the same time. You also felt like you knew how this was going to play out at a certain point. Um, Alexa, speed, timing, shot selection, everything was going. She threw kicks infrequently, but I almost felt like that actually helped her. 
because it just seemed like every time Viviani just wasn't expecting it. To her credit, I really did think at a certain point Viviani, uh, she's look, she's having trouble reaching Alexa. Five round fight. She had more muscle coming in. She was probably the one who was going to be expending more energy over 25 minutes coming in. And for to her credit, she looked really lively. She looked very fresh entering those later rounds than I more than I thought she might if the fight played out the way it did. But the fact the story of the fight was Alexa takedown defense, defense on the ground to get back up and not take damage when she was down there. Um, I already said she was finding her mark. She was slipping. I, I was just very impressed. Early in the fight, she was initiating a lot of the exchanges and winning. Later in the fight, she was countering, but she was still stopping Viviani's combos because she was finding her mark. Just comprehensively, a, just a win for Alexa. I think I only gave, it might have been the fourth round to Viviani. Um, but look, the fact is, uh, just a very, very comprehensive win. Um, obviously, we could talk about the future in a second because it's about to get really interesting. But what were your thoughts on Alexa's performance? I was very impressed. It's what I expected from her because of that strong boxing background. And uh, I actually did was surprised by uh, Viviani's performance. She was right there almost the whole time as far as the striking game was concerned. And then, of course, when you talk about the grappling, Alexa had an answer for almost everything and, and you know, basically stifled, uh, stymied Viviani's whatever that ground game plan was, she kind of, you know, neutralized it. What I liked the most was that it was a, it was a back and forth. And when I was reading the headlines about this post fight, a lot of it would lead you to believe that Alexa Grasso put on a clinic, a striking clinic. To me, that wasn't the case. And it's not a knock on her. It's more of just saying she's really good, but Viviani's also, also good, not as good. Right. But, um, Viviani was landing some big shots. If you look at Alexa Grasso's face from even from round one, it was red right in the center, and it just kept getting more and more red on the nose. When she ate some of those shots, they were hard. But when Grasso landed, and mostly it was one, two, beautifully thrown, of course, perfect, perfectly thrown, especially that two, that, that cross. I mean, it would send Viviani's head popping backwards like a rock'em sock'em robot, right? So there's a lot of power there, and that comes from just working out, obviously, but just clean, clean, pristine technique. I liked looking at Alexa's face as she was receiving punches, which she did eat throughout the fight, and she would almost look angry or at least more determined to keep pushing forward and to get it, but to get that one back. You punched me, oh, man, now I got to get you back. She never looked deterred. She never looked concerned. And that was impressive to see. She was very, very, very focused. The most focused I've ever seen her. And so I'm really looking forward to how she progresses from here on. This is, a, I think this is a pivotal moment in her career. Apologies, guys. Uh, my, my son's here in the background. Um, and uh, you might hear a, a, a squeal here or there. He's but just so case, excited for so MMA. Excited. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or to torment me. Um, a little of both. And... Um, so I'm looking forward to Alexa's future more so than I had before this fight. This is a pivotal fight for, for her, in my opinion. 
she alluded, she said as much in the in the interview that it was a really difficult camp, and you can tell she put in a lot of hard work. So what's next for her? What's next for Viviani too? Because she was very impressive. I thought she was going to get tired. She wasn't. When you look at her musculature, it sort of makes you think, oh, she's probably going to get tired rounds four and five. They both hung in there for the full championship um, length. And uh, when I'm when I'm waiting for the score scores to be revealed for the winner to be announced. I'm thinking Grasso, but I'm like, this could go the other way too. It's one of those fights where you could find a way to score it the other way. So very impressive for both fighters. And, um, you know, what's next? That's always the question. Yeah, uh, I think uh, looking at it, um, and we'll obviously get in depth on it when we do her breakdown at the end of the fight, but the flyweight title... Valentina, I'm 90% sure Valentina's trying to take her time to get on the mend. I think that she had an injury. She obviously, you know, made it through the Tyler Santos fight in, what was that, June? Um, Still looked hurt, didn't look 100% like we're used to seeing her. Uh, Part of that, credit to Tyler Santos. But the fact is, I think that Valentina has taken her time, which kind of leads to this scenario. You got a big fight, Kaylin Trikagian, Manon Fioro, um, obviously fighting on Saturday. Consensus is Manon's on a run. If Manon beats essentially the longtime number two flyweight for the women, Manon gets the title shot next. Okay, sometime 2023, easy. Let's say Trikagian wins. I mean, for one, look at what Trikagian's done. Very fair to say she could get a rematch, even if necessarily the heat isn't there for that fight. You know, by the numbers, hey, she's won the fights, give it to her. If not, you could run it back with Tyler Santos for Valentina. Obviously controversial, close fight, the cut, etc. Tyler Santos, I believe, is still on the mend. Could that open the door, depending on when and where everybody is at, for Alexa to go straight to Valentina? Absolutely. If Manon wins, I think that maybe more than likely what we'll get is uh, Alexa and Tyler Santos. And then if Chukagian wins, then obviously it's about where's everybody at? Is it Alexa? Is it Tyler? Is Valentina taking more time and we still get Tyler versus Alexa? I don't know. But I do think that those are the three scenarios. You just really got to see where is Valentina going into 2023 in terms of her return and how does the Manon versus Caitlin winner, um, how do they look coming out of Saturday? But Alexa is no more than one fight away from a title shot. And I think that that's behind some pretty good performances. She has struggled to get in the cage. Not all of it is her fault. She had to withdraw. Opponents had to withdraw this year. So it's not all on her that she couldn't get in the cage more. But the fact is, she's here now, and I think it's coming at a pretty good time, both for her and the flyweight division. Yeah, I agree. That, that's exactly right. So she's very close to a title shot, and because of Valentina wanting to heal up, and because if Caitlin wins, as you said, that's probably not a fight the UFC is going to want to make with a with a recovered uh, Valentina Shevchenko. So there is a little bit of of uncertainty but not a whole lot right the direction is still pretty much upward and onward it's just um you know does it happen what are we in october probably not gonna happen by end of the year of course but does it happen like by summer or by end of next year i I think that's what i'd be wondering 
I mean, uh, the one I keep coming to is most likely a spring, uh, optimistically spring, like around March for Valentina. Um, that that would be my guess, like when they stack up the March pay-per-view. Or you know what? If they go to the UK with Usman and Edwards and Valentina is like a co-main, that could be fun. Um, so I think that that's just it. But I am... I am hoping for about a spring return. She's kind of kept it quiet. She's just been living the life on IG again. Um, like she did before the Tyler fight when she was on the men. So patience. But I have a feeling it's going to be probably spring. We'll see Valentina back. Yeah, sorry. I, 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 let me clarify. For Valentina, I agree with you. I was thinking for when Alexa could get being oh, that, yeah. in that title contention or you know, close to it would be probably, you know, summer. But if Valentina comes back in spring, not so soon, more likely end of next year, depending on, you know, who she fights in the meantime. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that's a very fair one. Assuming she has to get one more in, then, yeah, we'd probably see her in this conversation about about this time next year. Um, look, a solid card. Um, Jonathan Martinez, my goodness. Um, some of the most brutal... Like, look, uh, is it hard to top Jose Aldo leg kicks? And also, if you really throw it back, if you guys ever remember Tiago Alves against Josh Koscheck, those are some brutal kick fights. Jonathan Martinez just kind of walked up and threw a candidate out there. That was some really vicious kicking that he did to Cub Swanson at Bantamweight. So, um, very just... Like, you know how we say, you know, oh, that was a great knockout. When we say, oh, that was nasty. What Jonathan Martinez did to Cub was nasty. That good. So definitely it was worth tuning in down the stretch. And, you know, good stuff throughout the card for a Saturday night. And I think the whole thing about this card is that everyone's already looking forward to next Saturday. All the UFC socials, there was easily like... 60 40 280 as opposed to vegas 62 stuff so it's very clear what people are waiting for before we get to that because it'll probably get lost in the review next week um it was confirmed the long rumored fight between glover tashira and jir prohashka number two will take place december 10th at ufc 282 the pay-per-view event final pay-per-view of the year i don't think it's the final event of the year but i could be wrong i'll double check that but um, the big news, uh, look, we'll talk about it straight up. It, can they live up to the hype of that first one, uh, Natalie? Yes or no? I, 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 um, yes, they can. Yes. They can? Yeah, I mean, because I, they're both game. And Glover's not going to lay down. Like, he's just not. He was so close to winning that. Yes, I think it can. I, I'm with you. It's just kind of like when we just had, and, and mind you, this will be apples to oranges compared to, you know, because of their activity and all that. But um, like Whaley and Joanna number two, it's like it just wasn't the same. You kind of yeah. feel like this is kind of it for Glover. Like if he still looks good, obviously it's great. If it's not, it starts to feel like Cinderella's carriage turned back into a pumpkin, right? And you know, oldest champion, blah, blah, blah. And you, you hate to say it because he's looked so good. He's done so well. But, oh, you get worried, right? I mean, you can't, oh, ha- you can't have too many of those wars like he did with Jiri. Jiri can't have too many of those wars like he did, you know? So Right, but Glover's like 40. How old is he? 40? Yeah, he's something. freaking Jiri has like 10 years advantage yeah, on him. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. 
that's uh, so that's my one thing about it is oh you don't just roll out of bed and go through one of those every six months you know what i mean yeah robbie lawler you know, know burn that candle at both ends but dang was it fun <laughs> anyway i digress but the fact is good fight and plenty of intrigue sells itself cool the real kicker ariel hawani confirms the UFC is still keeping the possibility of a John Jones return for December. And now he said everything that we've already discussed many times on the show. Obviously, the target is Francis Ngannou versus Jones. But Francis, the knee injury, he's still on the mend. The contract stuff, can they get him to re-sign? All of those are big enough question marks that it's like, okay, you know, there, there is a lot of red tape before you make that for December. They could make that fight in March. And Nganu's knee is expected to be much better in terms of the recovery. Everyone has said that's probably the most optimistic timeline. Even Nganu has said that. And I believe Eric Nixick brought that up as a possibility. The real kicker, though, is could the UFC go with John Jones Stipe? Which is obviously, hey, you know, like... John Jones wants to fight now, is what Ariel said. However, there's still that, once again, is this what the UFC chooses to do when John Jones and Ganu is just right there? And I'm going to toss it to you because I'll be honest, at this stage of the game, I had kind of just ridden that off already. I was not holding my breath. I've already said, Jones and Ganu, March, I don't need to talk about anything else anymore. What about you? This is tricky, right? Because if you're, you've been, everyone's been waiting so long for John Jones to show up at heavyweight, and so when he does it, you don't know if that could be the beginning of something amazing, or you know, full stop, start and end in one fight, right? Like he just looks terrible, he gets knocked out, and and that's it. So do you want to take that chance against Ngannou? So at least it's like. Well, Ngannou is a heavyweight champion. Look at his, he's huge. He has amazing knockout power. It makes sense. If Jones goes in against Stipe and looks terrible, that really diminishes the potential for any fights beyond that of John Jones at heavyweight. Now, people are still going to tune in to, to, to watch, right? Because it's John Jones. But that being said, I still like Jones Stipe. I think. I hope John Jones isn't going to be stubborn and say it's Ngannou or nothing because, like, we have to move this show along now. I don't want to keep waiting for John Jones, and I don't know how he can keep waiting. I don't know how he makes money. I don't know how he stays motivated, stays in shape. Like, that's those are real questions. Like, Ngannou's rehabbing. Okay, Stipe's has a full time day job. Okay, so you know he's 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 good too. I just wonder how much longer can John Jones himself wait for this to to happen? I think uh, I don't I don't think it can be that much longer. So in any case, to round this out, I'm I'm fine with Jones Stipe. It is taking a little bit of a risk if John looks bad, um, but waiting for Ngannou seems like um, a bigger risk because it's just going to take too darn long. It To me, it's that proverbial, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I get it. You add Jones, Stipe on top of Glover, Jiri. By the way, Jan Blahovich and Magomed Ankalaev is on the card. So it's like, 
let's be honest, if John Jones was still a light heavyweight, that card would be freaking amazing. It's not. Okay, so it's like, all right, it, that, it would be like the night of the light heavyweights, as I say that out loud, if I'm being honest. But my point is that you, we are in this really, really lucky position where things honestly feel like they're lined up. Jones doesn't have to win another fight. Nganu doesn't have to fight anybody. Nganu's recovery is lining up that it's just a little bit away now. And at this point, I know what, I completely get what you mean about John Jones. This is that one fight that I'm okay saying, wait those last three months. Wait till March. Don't do December. I don't need, you know, I, I'm trying to think. It's a bit like uh, the Pacquiao Mayweather thing when Pacquiao got knocked out by Marquez. Ah, oh, well, they're just going to keep rolling. They're just going to keep kicking the can and keep, uh, you know, it's just going to be up in the air. And then, you know, somebody loses and then suddenly the fight is not everything it could have been. Still amazing, but anyone will tell you it was not quite everything. Would have gotten even more attention, would have done even more buys. Jones and Ganu, we're actually there. It, it, it just, you just gotta wait and get these guys in there the way it looks like it's going to. So unless the UFC knows something we don't about where is Nganu, that just kind of feels like it's it. And the one thing I will say about the UFC with wherever they may be at in their, I'll say, um, disagreement with Francis over the last year, several months, is the fact that that fight is probably the biggest fight you can make in MMA right now, is Jones versus Ngannou. The only other thing, maybe, and I'm putting a big maybe on this one, is if Habib were to come back and Charles Oliveira were the champion. Which, hey, could happen after Saturday, but that's another story. But the fact is, this one, you have, you have all the pieces, you just gotta get the paperwork done, so... A lot of that is to say, I don't even want to see it. I would rather we get Jones and Ganu straight up because let's say Stipe handles John Jones. We've seen Stipe and Ganu twice now. And there's not all the history behind it like there is with John. You know, controversy aside, is he the best fighter ever? That fight sells itself against Ngannou, so... That's how I feel about it. I feel like the Stipe thing, because Stipe's been out a while, it would just feel a little rushed. And I just, the heat for that just isn't there for me, personally. Yeah, that's that's true. The heat is not there. It's 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 for sure. And, you know, heavyweight is still king. And, and Jones and Ganu is one of those that, you know, you mentioned boxing. That's one of those that could just be its own pay-per-view. You don't need anything else of a significance, right? So if you were to add it onto something already awesome, that's that's a lot of eyeballs right there. Yeah. And oh, that's another thing. The Tyson Fury thing is dead for Nganu. That's not even in the way right now. Yeah. It's yeah, like, it's guys, let's go. It's right there. <laughs> Don't fumble the back. We want nice things. But anyway, um I'm a, look, if let's say Aljo and TJ plays out, we're ra- waiting for Charles and Islam. And they just run this promo, John Jones versus Stipe. I mean, maybe I'll have different feelings, but I will stand by this right now. Give me Jones and Ganu instead. Please and thank you. <laughs> okay. There we go. Um, enough about everything else. Let's get to what's really important. UFC 280. 
Um, we're going to culminate with Charles versus Islam, but we're going to start from the bottom up. And we're going to start it off, uh, Bilal Muhammad taking on Sean Brady. Uh, you know, Natalie, I know there's all this now question about Hamza Chemaev. And had he made weight and, you know, just really went full wolf on Nate Diaz, maybe we're having a different conversation. Suddenly, the possibility of Hamzat getting taken off the welterweight board really opens the door for the winner of this fight. Because Bilal's obviously on a run. Sean Brady is taking a massive leap with the potential to leapfrog a lot of guys in the welterweight division. This is a very critical fight with two very interesting styles for welterweight. And what are your thoughts on this one? I'll set it up for you. Yeah, this is a this is a, a a great like jumping off point for the next big portion of one of these two fighters' careers. It's it's good matchmaking. Bilal is, you know, was it um, Wonder Boy that he fought? Yeah, right? he, and it was Wonder just, Boy he, and Luke. Yeah. He just kind of manhandled Wonder Boy, which is hard to see for for someone who's a Wonder Boy fan and loves his style. But he's relentless. He's a grinder. And uh, sorry, that's my phone. And, you know, Sean Brady, from what I've seen of him, is also, you know, very, very apt on the ground. The grappling game is, is, is tops. But he's also just a ferocious-looking dude. I mean, that tattoo. <laughs> that, when someone commits to a tattoo like that, you know, the back, <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. You know they're serious about whatever they do. So in any case, it's two, two fighters here. Who, and, yeah, Sean Brady is, is, is getting a big push here. Bilal's been in the game for for a while. It's two fighters who are getting this great big opportunity on this amazing card in Abu Dhabi. You're going to get all kinds of eyeballs. And I, I like it a lot. It's hard for me to see who wins because of their styles. But I think just experience and having already been up against some of the best former title challengers, I'm, I'm seeing this as a, a grind-out decision for Bilal Muhammad. You know, go to judges. We're not going to see anyone get knocked out, but I think Bilal's just going to do what he does and and get the win um, in three. So that's where I see it. I mean, just to go back to Sean Brady's tattoo, the fact that, you know, Kiesa had the tiger, Brady has the guy choking the tiger, and Brady chokes out uh, Kiesa, I was like, bro, you really you couldn't write this better if it was a TV show. Um, but no, back to um, back yeah. to Bilal and uh, Sean. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I I want to acknowledge the Habib effect. I know that Bilal's gotten some time in with the Eagle, and so you got to think he's feeling a little bit of that mojo right now. He knows he's in a great spot of his career. I got to talk to him at the red carpet when he was pushing for a fight with Hamzat. I saw him in London when they announced his fight with Brady. He's just really hitting his stride. And like you said, he's been in the game a while. Sean Brady, newer to the UFC, but undefeated. Just young, hungry. The engine is running at full steam right now. And he's aware that, hey, I got this great style. I can wrestle. I'm young. I'm powerful. I could provide a lot of problems to the Leons and the Hamzats and the Colbys of the world, the way I'm fighting. I completely get what he must be feeling right now at this stage. I'm with you there, the experience for Bilal. He's just, his own wrestling is probably the biggest X factor. 
get in the face of Sean and kind of like you did with Luke, just shut him down. You got to pick great shot selection and just execute it. Pick your spots to grapple, really wear down on Brady. Not that Brady can't strike, but I think you feel like the emphasis on getting a takedown, completing it, not just holding against the fence a la Marab versus Aldo, is way more important for Sean than it is for Bilal. Because if neither of them could get a takedown, I feel like I could see Bilal winning this fight much easier than I could see it for Brady. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. But when I break down the fight, that's what I see it. So I'm with you there. I think it's going to be a bit of a grind. I know Brady is ready for that grind, but I do think that this is going to be the ultimate test of just the veteran savvy for Bilal Muhammad with this particular style matchup. Can he do that? And if he can, I'll be honest, I think that that uh, locks it in unless Hamza comes back to 170. Because I think that it's really like, okay, Colby, from what I'm hearing through James Lynch's uh, YouTube channel, Colby is MIA. He's not doing any interviews. He's not talking to anybody. Yeah, that's so crazy. Masvidal is now on a skid. Um, I know he's trying to push for that Leon Edwards fight. It's not going to happen next, straight up. So this is really a perfect time for a guy like Bilal Muhammad to get in there right now. And just let's see where we're at after Usman and Edwards run it back. But great time for them and just a very critical fight. Gonna Both of those guys are going to have to go through the fire to win this one. I like it in that way. Um, the next one, the lightweights, Benil Dariush, Matus Gamrot. Um, we just saw Matus. He looked fantastic in, against Sarukian. He's a former two-division two champion for KSW. If you don't know, KSW is like the show in Poland. Um, ironically, I think Joanna didn't fight for them. I think only uh, Jan Blachowicz did. But the fact is, it's a great show. He obviously ran the table over there. Hasn't looked bad in UFC. Obviously took down a young, hungry guy. Through his experience and just that tenacity and gas tank in a five-rounder. But then you got Benil Dariush. Been in the game a long time. Fantastic grappling. Another tenacious guy himself. Tough to put away. Tough to put down. Tough to break with uh, the pace and the pressure. Makes for a very interesting fight. And... You also have that uh, bit of an X factor in that Benil, I believe, has said that he was told he is the backup for the title fight. But then Alexander Volkanovsky is saying, no, I w I'm flying into Abu Dhabi. If anything happens to Charles or Islam, I get to fight for the lightweight title. A little bit of weirdness. Only Dana and the crew actually know what they would do, essentially, in this situation. But the fact is, high stakes for the winner of this one for Benil... A great chance to leap into a title fight for Matus. A great chance to leap into the conversation. Um, th there's just a lot riding on the line for both of them at a really critical juncture in the division. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's very interesting here because a, a win for Dariush does put him right at the top of that conversation. He kind of was getting there, but then more noise was made, bigger noise by other fighters, and, and he got a little bit forgotten. But a win here puts him right back in there. And for Gamrod, of course, it's too soon to throw him into the uh, championship conversation. Unless, I mean, what could he have to do? A Masvidal, Astrid, fly knee, knockout in the first six seconds. You know, fight clock brought to you by Modelo and it's over. That's the only <laughs> way that happens. Um, so when, I'm, when I look at this fight, I really 
think about how impressive Benil Dariush has been over the last few years. Thinking that he was, in my mind, right, thinking, oh, you know, he's just going to be a gatekeeper. And, and then all of a sudden he started winning these fights in emphatic fashion, coming from behind, knocking people out, spinning back this, I mean, crazy elbows. His, 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 his jiu-jitsu is amazing. And he's on the mic. He's just a very friendly gentleman. He's, a, you know, he's just like... What he's you, just nice, isn't he's he? He's a nice guy, yeah. And, and I love the way he strikes when it gets real, when he's up against the cage, when he's hurt, when he's, when he's about to hurt somebody. Um, he kind of gets old school and starts swinging the arms, brawling, you know, brawling style. And I love that because normally I might criticize it and say, say that a fighter who, who does that is, you know, needs to work on their technique. Who am I to say such a thing? But I would. Uh, but when I look at Benil Dariush, obviously that's not the case. He's just, you know, digging deep, going in for the kill, and and that's what happens. And he is successful with that response time and time again. And so when I think of this fight, for all the amazing things we've seen Gamrot do in the UFC and, and before that at KSW, that Sarukian fight, of course, being the last thing on everyone's minds, to me, Dariush has just no quit, and he has a really deep skill set to back it up. So this is another one of those where it's experience um, that I think is going to win the day. Now, not to say Gamrot doesn't have the experience, but there is a difference between MMA experience overall and MMA experience in the UFC, in these big events, with your back against the wall. So for that reason, I'm going to say Dariush wins this one. Uh, another win for uh, for for Benil. I just don't know if this is going to be a finish or a grind to the end. And um, as much as I'd like to see a finish, I think Gamrot's pretty darn tough. And so I guess I'm going to say a, a decision for Dariush, and uh, and that's it. So the fact that this one's a 15 minute fight, I think, is the real kicker because what Gamrot was essentially able to do with another just. Let's be honest, that was like two cats going at each other with uh, Armand. And I mean like two male cats, by the way, people. Um, but the fact is just the scrambles, the pace that they put on each other. And this is a 10, 10 minutes less. So you got to think that Gamrot feels very confident in what he's going to be able to do in terms of just speed and mileage on the car against Benil with 15 minutes to work. A lot of people, look, I get it. The man has gone gray early. But I think that a lot of people pick against uh, Benil for that reason alone. And yeah, they need to looks, knock it off. He looks like a dad. It's so funny. Dude, he is, <laughs> I mean, young, he is a dad. But he's he younger than a bunch of the guys. Yeah. I think he's younger than Poirier. That's you crazy. know? Yeah. And so it's just one of those things. Um, look, I, I, one thing I will say, you know, getting out there and just, you know, Speed and lighten you up and moving out of the way isn't Benil's game. However, pressure, grappling, the grind, that's a big part of his game. Um, like you said, very technical, will step into the fire if he needs to. And really, uh, one thing I will say is that stylistically, Benil has to execute a really, really good game plan. Because when you know you got a guy as, I'll say, springy as Gamrot, you really got to just drag them from 100 to zero against the fence. You just got to make him feel miserable. And what we've seen is that Gamrot can do that and hang with you. He just kind of kept 
as we said with the Armand fight, just kept going to the well. Matus has been in these kinds of situations, not with the UFC platform, but once again, you got to think he's he's thinking, look, just do what I do, and I should be able to outwork Benil if we're both really trying to get after it. Now, anything could happen, but I think that's the biggest key. I think that Benil, he's got to do a lot more for Gamrot, use that speed, stick and move, maybe even try to push for a takedown yourself. Doesn't matter if you complete it, it's just about keeping Dariush from feeling like he could just settle in and start working the body locks, maybe trying to shoot for some legs and go for doubles and singles. You just got to make sure you get going earlier, and that should be the big kicker for Gamrot and by that reason, I will say I think that he's going to get the upset. I just think that stylistically, he provides those kinds of problems to a guy like Benil Dariush. And I think that's going to be a real big key in a critical fight like this. But um, yep. look, Yeah, thank you. Um, but no, <laughs> Great, and, well said. Hey, and that's kicking off the main card. I know, that's crazy. Uh, so we referenced this one, the women, Caitlin Trukagian, Manon Fioro. Okay, so... I have tried to... F- All anyone seems to unanimously agree on is that the T in Manon's name is silent. I have heard Fioro. I have heard Fior as uh, pronunciations of her last name. Um, look, uh, people are going to start saying it right if she gets past uh, Shukagian. Um, obviously, Manon is on a run right now. Joined the UFC a little yeah. bit later in a... You know, compared to um, Chukagin, obviously. And then for Chukagin, you just got to really acknowledge the fact that she has been so consistent in her career. Yeah, Manon 11 fight win streak going back to her pre-UFC days. Hold on, how many is that in UFC? Let me just count it. One, two, three, four. I believe just one, two, three, four fights in UFC for Manon. Anyway, Chukagin, by comparison, fought for the title. But fought just about every flyweight of note and then some, you know, fought Joanne Wood, fought Jennifer Maya, Antonina, Viviani, Cynthia, um, Amanda Hibas, obviously, Lauren Murphy. She's beaten Irena Aldana. She's beaten a lot of tough girls in her career. And look, we said it. Valentina did what she did in that first fight. Since then, you could make the argument that Chukagin has kind of... If you remember John Fitch, John Fitch kind of like snuck in there. He was just consistent, wasn't really the flashiest. Fought GSP, GSP did what GSP does. But after that, John Fitch's profile was raised and John Fitch actually kept beating guys. And suddenly it was like, okay, even though you lost, more people now recognize you for how good you are because now they're familiar with your past work when they weren't before i feel like that's happening with chukagian and i feel like that's important because she should be favored to win this fight with manon i know that manon is on a run she's looked fantastic she's got more finishes i think that she just um you know she kind of bites down and makes it a little more exciting in some fights that Chukagian hasn't necessarily had to in some of her more recent performances. But the fact is, this is a big fight for Chukagian. You know what's there for Fior. She wins, title fight, Valentina. You know, you get the feeling that Valentina just like, hey, 
if I'm going to fight these up-and-comers, I'd rather add as many different names as possible so my resume looks better. Okay. That automatically should give you the nod over Tyler Santos when she gets back. So, a lot on the table for Manon. A lot there for Chikagian. You can make the case that this, this is enough to get her another shot at Valentina, possibly. If not, then certainly she would warrant it. Um, all of that puts together for a very interesting flyweight fight. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this is interesting because Fioro, yeah, I would say the T is silent on that. Just Everyone my... agrees the T is silent, but yeah. they say the rest a lot different. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, French is funny. You know, Spanish is basically phonetic. English, well, that's a tough one too. French, it's just sort of like uh, every word has its own history and its own uh, back, like there's just, there's, you cannot guess correctly when you're trying to read French, uh, is my what I've learned uh, for someone who doesn't speak French. But anyway, Fioro, I like that one. Um, I like her style. I like what I've seen. With someone like Caitlin Chukagian, who is a very seasoned and well-educated striker. She's very well-educated. She can throw punches and kicks, and she looks really nice doing it. When she's in the cage, sometimes she's got a killer a, a killer instinct. Sometimes she doesn't. And so it sort of reduces the impressiveness of her style because it's very effective in some cases. And then sometimes you're just watching her kick air, even though she has this amazing reach with her hands, her arms, and her legs. What I like about Fioro, and especially in this fight, is that Fioro is just getting after it. She kind of reminds me of what I was saying about... Uh, Benil Dariush, when he's up against the wall, he starts swinging his arms and he goes for it. Fioro kind of fights like that too when she's striking. And I think that could be an interesting challenge for Chukagian. If she were a little shorter, Chukagian, I think she could use her footwork more advantageously to circle out when Fioro does one of those charges, those, you know, brawling, arm swinging charges. But because Chukagian is the size that she is, um, I think it'll be a little bit trickier for her to get out of the way, in which case I think Fioro's going to be able to land some punches. And I think it could be a good a good back and forth. But Chukagin's very concerned with winning, however she has to, eking out of victories point by point. She's willing to do that, and I think she's going to be forced to do that against Fioro. Even though I want Manon to win and I want to see you know, this division mixed up a little bit more. We have Alexa Grasso and, you know, we're talking about them previously. I'd like Manon to be the one getting the, the, the boost out of this fight. I think Caitlin's going to find a way to just outpoint her. And I think it could be, um, a little bit boring. I'm sorry to say that word. If by any chance Manon can just keep the pedal to the metal for three rounds then that would be great and she could win. But I don't think she's going to be able to. Caitlin Chukagian is just too smart and too careful. So I think you know, this is going to be my third unanimous decision pick for the three fights we've covered, but I think it's going to be Chukagian by decision. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is that when I watch Man- Manon, um, her style is very interesting because there are times when I'm watching her and it's like she's almost a little more plodding, little you know, very, uh, I'll say rigid with her stance and walking. And, you know, you watch like a Valentina and Adesanya, just that, even Caitlin a bit, just that level of flow 
And it just feels like Manon just kind of keeps moving forward in a straight line and yeah. just um, yeah. using those qualities, shot selection, reach, and speed, and she kind of just gets to the mark and does what she needs to do. Um, obviously, it's a lot harder than that, but um, when you watch someone like Chukagian, so many weapons, um, she's actually deceptively good off of her back too, but obviously it's a, a big part of her game is her yeah, volume. Her stuff, yeah. yeah, her volume, her reach, and her ability to use it. She's just very effective at actually making it something that opponents have to deal with. That's really her bread and butter. I think that a big part of this fight is really going to come down to the volume. Caitlyn's got to be able to get in and out effectively. Because I think that Manon, stylistically, on a technical level with her accuracy, could provide a lot of problems if Caitlyn stays in that mid-range for a long time. I think that this is a fight where you almost want Caitlyn to have a... If you, for Caitlyn to win, you almost want her to have a slower fight because... I think that staying in that range with someone in particular with the skill set of Fior, I think that that's what's going to give Fior opportunities to really get in this fight. Whereas I think that if Caitlin gets in and out, you know, a little similar to Alexa, two punch, get out of there like she did last night, then we're talking about a different kind of ball game. That being said, Fior, a lot of weapons, a lot to watch out for. It's just about, once again, you could do all these good things. It's just about who gets fist-to-face sometimes. You had great movement, great setups, but if the punches don't get on that face and the chin and the body, where did it all go? And I think that's going to be the key. Can Manon just connect? Because I think that Caitlyn has proven she could get there. It's just going to be, can she get there enough over 15 minutes? And that's where we're at. Um, You got to think title on the line. You got to think that all that. Let me ask you. Let's say you remember Chukagin versus Amanda Hibas, right? Not the yes. slowest fight, but Not solid win. Good. Um, yeah, Joe, I know what you're saying, right? Um, so you remember that fight for <laughs> Caitlin. He wants to hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you remember that fight for Caitlin. Let's say she has a similar performance against Fior. Is that enough that you would say, okay, Valentina should take this one over Alexa Grasso or over Tyler Santos again. I'm sorry, if Kuchukagian wins in a in a strong enough fashion, like like similar to the way she beat Amanda Hibas, not you know didn't stomp somebody, but just a solid win again. No, I would say not enough because the first one was. It's not like. I'm trying to think of, well, you, you mentioned it. Um, Yan Jacek, Wei Li, right? The first one, they were going back and forth. The second one was pretty fast. This is the reverse of that. I don't, and that the first fight was finished very quickly with the crucifix. I don't think you're going to get a, a drawn-out battle between Chukagi and Valentina Shevchenko in a rematch. And so then what's... I don't say what's the point, but a little bit. I mean, you know, then it's like Chris Cyborg... Um, Blanco, right? Like the second one was 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 pretty decisive. I just don't think you need it. Now, what does that do, though? Does that devalue Valentina Shevchenko's belt when you're forced to give her someone that just popped into the UFC, like Manon Fioro, or uh, someone that's you know just starting to really show promise, like around uh, Viviani or Alexa Grasso, who I think would be the most deserving of of all these people if Fioro doesn't win. 
So I don't like Chukagian as as the you know as a Shevchenko two matchup, even if she does something really cool. For her to get that fight again, I mean, did I, I'm going to repeat myself. It would have to be like you know some like spectacular Ben Askren Masvidal thing. Like that's that's the thing. The only thing that will get her a Shevchenko shot again. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, Valentina's never want to pick her fights, and so if the UFC looks at things and says we can't get anyone to come around faster than than Chukagian, then okay, it is what it is. I think for me the biggest thing is that um, it Chukagian's a high risk, low reward for Valentina. She's a difficult person to deal with. Yeah, Valentina got it done, made it look uh, you know didn't go through adversity. It felt like. I get it, but you got to look at it from her point of view, from business side. There's a tough girl, uh, attributes that are difficult to deal with. And while that would be for, for the real ones who are just about pure, you know, just merits in martial arts. Yeah, uh, obviously they, they should, Kaylin should get the credit the way we're talking about Brandon and Davison for four times. Okay. Because there's not that heat and that hype. Business-wise, for Valentina, hey, I already beat Chukagian. I'd rather have a clean sweep of the table rather than, oh, let me keep finding the toughest vice possible. Now, look, she would never say it for that reason. Um, The same way, hey, there are other tough flyweights besides Chukagian I could fight. But the fact is, that's that's really the key on why it's tough to sell Chukagian number two for Valentina both on Valentina's side and then for the UFC side. So I get why there's just not that heat. If Chukagin was talking like Kayla Harrison, I don't know. Maybe we'd have a different story. That's not her. And I don't want it to be no, if that's not her. Yeah. So for sure. Yeah, but exactly. you get my point. When there's not that heat, it's hard to sell a high-risk, lower-reward fight to a champion. Plain and simple. I Yeah, plain and simple, yeah. Yeah. Now, look, we got another three coming up. To a lot of people, this is the meat of the sandwich now. I know. We've had some good bread. We've got some good veggies. It's time, though. Sean O'Malley, Peter Yan. So, to a lot of people, this is... uh, I think this has split more people on do you think that Peter Yan is just going to stomp this young kid? Or Sean O'Malley is going to do Sean O'Malley things to this guy who's a lot shorter once again? And that makes it so much fun. Um, we, we talk about titles all the time. It's hard to imagine Sean O'Malley not getting it, whether it's uh, Aljamain or Dillashaw. But the fact is, you've got to overcome a guy who's been historically difficult for a lot of elite opponents. So what you essentially is going to come down to, Peter Yan has to r- slip and rip to the body. I think that's the biggest thing. 15-minute fight, not 25. This is the wrong time to start having a slow start. You got to get the volume going up. You got to get it going early. And you essentially just got to accept that this may be a little bit of a riskier fight early as you kind of set the tone in that opening round. Because I think the biggest thing for Peter Yan is finding himself in a scenario where he's now waiting for Sean O'Malley and he's hesitating on his entries and then sun- suddenly Sean O'Malley is really exercising that speed and height and reach and suddenly it becomes a little bit more of a headache for a guy like Peter who's just 
already i feel like he's given up the height in like the last three or four fights i think he might have even given up a bit of height to uriah Faber. that's that's just who this how this guy is built okay <laughs> that's that's hard what it <laughs> to give up love height to uriah Faber. that's like you're really <laughs> bro <laughs> it's not personal i like well, I him just, no, it's not personal i just like wow i had to actually go check he's five seven o'malley's five eleven that's that's serious a lot how tall is uriah Faber? Go ahead. all right. Give me your thoughts. I'll get back to you. Go okay, ahead. Okay. Give me your thoughts. I mean, this is this is crazy. This is a crazy matchup. Piotr Jan not afraid of anybody. Sean O'Malley uh, talks like he's not afraid of anybody, and I believe him. But yeah, Piotr Jan's been up against the top of the top, and he's buzzsawed through them. Okay, I'm not gonna. No, obviously. Uriah was five six. He didn't give it up to Uriah, but you get my point. Yeah, I get your point. Obviously, Aljamain Sterling, you know, he took the belt from. Uh, from uh, Piotr Jan. Hang on, my son. But, you know, when I think about Piotr Jan, I still think of him despite that loss as a Terminator, as un- unbeatable, as um, just how many other, you know, home improvement tools can I use to, to reference him? Chainsaw, Buzzsaw, uh, you know, Jackhammer. Like, that's this man. And... When I think of Sean O'Malley, who's slick and tall and confident and cocky, it's just an exciting matchup. What could Sean O'Malley do to Piotr Jan? I mean, he has power, right? We know that O'Malley has that crazy power, and he's very smooth and elusive. But I just don't think, in the end, I don't think he's going to be able to... You know, it's hard for me, actually, as I'm saying this, because... You say Piorian should rip O'Malley to the body. I think he should go to the body, sure, but the legs, that's that's where I would start. You're risking getting a, a counter in the face, especially with O'Malley's height. That could be pretty easy to land on you, on Piorian. And so I think Piorian, with kicks, can really do a lot, a lot of damage. But that, that power that O'Malley has and that I just don't know how this is going to play out, man. It's a, It's a tricky one for me. Because O'Malley has something special, but, you know, he's definitely hittable. We've seen it with Chido Vera. We've seen it with um, Almeida. No, he didn't really get, he didn't really get too, too beat up there. Look, I'll just say this. I'll leave it at this. O'Malley's special. Everybody knows that, whether you like his personality or not. But Piotr Jan is one in a million. And I think just with his grit, his background, his power i think he's gonna find a way to win it may not look good for him in the first round but if he keeps landing those leg kicks i think he can do some real damage i i don't see a finish so i'm gonna have to call another unanimous decision for Piotr Jan. but i think that's how it's gonna go down what do you think you know what i'm sorry to tell you this but the decisions are over i think that of all the fights on the card Outside of the main event, this is also the most likely to end in a finish. Part of me sees, you know, Terminator Jan attacking the calf, ripping the liver, and then next thing you know, that that tall tree just crumples with that cotton candy leaves on top, and then Peter Jan does what Peter Jan does and start just ripping these short punches like he's trying to, like he's Rocky Balboa training for Drago in the winter. Um, it, it's just, he's got that kind of intensity, right? But 
once again, it comes down to the styles. I think that the speed on top of the qualities of um, Sean O'Malley actually pose more than anybody else. Because I think that even for a guy like Corey Sanhagen, the unpredictability of Sean O'Malley is out there. He does a lot of this awkward stuff, you know, like stuff that I I will be honest, sometimes I'm surprised is effective. Mm -hmm. And it may be because of the the level of competition he's faced. Yeah. But you'll remember, I forget who it even was. It, not, it wasn't Pedro. Uh, you know, he. Uh, it might have been that Chris Moutinho fight. Yeah. And Sean O'Malley does that thing where, like, he's looking away like he's trying to get you to yeah. think he's fainting. And then he's just, you know, l- letting the hands go. Yeah, it's like a no-look pass, right? But it's Yes. Yeah. And, and it really is, uh, you know... T- that's a very odd thing, I think, for opponents to see out there because not many people do them. More or less because you think that if they figure it out and they see you look away, they're just going to slip and rip you. And you're already not eyes on them, so it could be more effective. I don't know. But I think that that's going to be, in a 15-minute fight, what really helps Sean O'Malley. You don't got to worry about 25 minutes of Peter... You don't got to worry about the breaking of the wills and all this other stuff that you've seen him do to other guys. You really just have a little bit of time to let him go and get going and stay out of the way if you feel like he's starting to walk you down. I think that in a 15-minute fight, that's a lot easier against a guy like Peter than a 25-minute. And that might be one of the biggest advantages to having that less time to work. And you know, it just feels like it's time. It just feels like it's it. And you know what, Natalie? Yeah, okay. Sean O'Malley, first round knockout. He's just going to slip and catch him when he's not expecting it. And we're going to say, holy cow. Wow. Seriously? I said it. I'm going out there for Sean O'Malley. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Okay, okay. I know. That's a, a, what do you call it, a, a seat lever? That'll make you stand on your feet for sure. Um, if you're in the crowd, that would be something else. You think he has enough power to do that? You think he's going to like fake out Jan such to such a degree that he could land such a powerful shot? I think that because he's so much bigger, he kind of has a little, it's a little easier for him to get it done. Yeah. I think if you don't see it coming, I think that that's going to be enough combined with his attributes to Russian city. Yeah. It'll carry it to the finish line early. Wow. I like it. I want to see that too better than another unanimous decision so, i mean yeah. you could pick some finishes man dang i could but then i'm thinking about it and i guess i overthink it i don't know all the close fights we pick decision that's our problem because <laughs> we start thinking like that i mean i can start going you know i'll start going berserker now and just start <laughs> picking wild stuff Hit me i like your the... pick maybe i'll change mine to, the... to your pick <laughs> all right Aljamain sterling tj dillashaw bantamweight title Sean O'Malley's next opponent. No, just, you know, let's calm down. But anyway, uh, look, Aljo looked fantastic against one Peter Jan, obviously. He's looked great leading up to that. He's slick. He's got all the moves. Got fantastic grappling. And then you got TJ Dillashaw. Still dangerous. Still difficult. Great movement. Well-rounded. Can wrestle. Um, Great gas tank. And look, I get it. The one, uh, by the way, uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, I have seen Aljamain Sterling's Twitter. Really, there's, uh, I don't really know if I could get into this. So I'm just going to say, yes, I saw it. And if you, 
it, it felt like it's impossible for TJ Dillashaw not to be the bad guy in any fight. If you now feel that there's two bad guys, by all means, just pick who you want, Lex Luthor or the Joker, and let's just watch the fight. That's all I'll get into about that. Can I tell you something, Natalie? Because I feel like it's a good time to share this yes, story. please tell me. I was talking to this guy yesterday about this fight. And we were talking about Aljo and TJ. And he told me straight up, man, I want TJ Dillashaw to win. And I, you know, I had that conversation like, you don't think, you know, like, what about the cheating and all that? I know. And you want to know what this guy said to me? He said, I know, but dang it, he was just so good when he was cheating. I was was dying. He owned it so much. It's like, yeah, but look how good he was when he was on the juice. He was so good, I know. And the the bravado to go on. He went on Joe Rogan to complain about the stoppage against uh, Cejudo. And he was on EPL. I mean, it's the man has... Wow, he's got guts, I'll tell you what. Yeah, he was great. <laughs> yeah, and look, I so get... Barry Bonds, I mean, come on. Yes, I heard it all. He only tested positive in one, et cetera, et cetera. But the way my man owned it, and I was like, all right, you know, I, I got to remember, there's still two to tango. The fact is, this is a fight with a lot of feelings. It's a fight with a lot of skills. And so you're going out here. I think the biggest thing is going to be the cardio of TJ holding up against stylistically the grappling of Aljamain because uh, while Aljamain has had now uh, two five-rounders scheduled, he only completed the distance in uh, the Peter rematch. The fact is TJ is built and fights so much differently than a guy like Peter Jan. And I think that the potential of the wrestling, the potential of the movement and having to just deal with this awkwardness of trying to reach TJ... That provides a lot of problems for a guy like Aljamain, who I think is used to having those advantages in his corner. Now, the thing that helps uh, Aljamain, once again, tall, long, very powerful Bantamweight, by the way. He's just, when he gets a hold of you, he knows how to just really drag you down and wear on you. In terms of his striking, he's really figured out, uh, he's turned the corner in his shot selection. He was already doing well um, leading up to the Peter fight, but really he's just now... I think in the best just kind of stride of his career in terms of his skills. And I think that if he's able to really exercise those, reach TJ, get out of the way of the counters, we have a very interesting fight on our hands. And I will say by no small um, margin, this is the hardest fight in my opinion to call on the whole card. Because I think that stylistically, they're both so difficult for the other. Um, I am going to go first, though. And I think that at a certain point, all of this has to eventually reach a guy like TJ Dillashaw. And the fact is, you're coming off two plus years layoff going into last year. You have a war with Corey Sanhagen. And now you've been out another year once again. At a certain point, I feel like, just kind of like with Dominic Cruz a little bit, those little things that make the difference when you're fighting these younger, faster guys, suddenly they just start to add up. And I feel like that's going to be the advantage for Aljamain Sterling. I do think that the shots are going to just have a little more impact than they might have on a younger TJ. And I think that it's just going to be a little bit easier for him to do what he needs to do 
may not be an easy one, but this one I will say comfortably could go the distance. I know I got a little wild, guys. I'm sorry, but I am going to call just because they are so difficult for the other to deal with. Unanimous decision for Aljamain Sterling. Wow. Okay. I like that. I like that. Uh, believe it or not, I'm going to pick TJ Dillashaw. I don't want him to win, but I actually think he's going to pull a surprise knockout victory over T- over Eljo like he did with, um, what's his name? Cody Garbrandt. I really do. I I hear you, though, on the age and being out of the game for so long, especially you know at this time in his career. It doesn't help. It only hurts. Um no, I and him. I think TJ Dillashaw is going to do classic TJ, you know, his unorthodox striking, and he's going to just catch Aljo and hurt him with, with, uh, with some punches. What did the EPO help him do? It didn't really. It's like, just for cutting weight and his, cardio. Yeah, it, it helped him basically exercise, right? It just put more oxygen in his blood so he could work harder and not get tired as, as early. So what I well, I mentioned that because it, it didn't necessarily give him punching power. I think that's already was just his. He he came with that. He didn't add that with uh, with supplements. And so I think he still has that, even though he had this shoulder surgery. I'm a I'm not a huge fan of either of these guys, so I'm not rooting for one or the other. I do not, um, you know, <laughs> respect. The, the EPO cheating, uh, TJ Dillashaw, you know, I, I'm, I'm still stunned that he's getting title shots after that, but okay, it is what it is. And all that being said, I do think he's going to land a knockout punch on Aljo. I'm not just saying that because you criticized me for doing too many unanimous decisions. I promise you I'm not. I think it'll be round two or three, and it's going to be, unfortunately, I will say, uh, and new, TJ Dillashaw, back on top. Hey, say it with your chest, Natalie. <laughs> I know, I can't say it so weakly. And say it with your chest. <laughs> You're going to call it, just say it with your just chest. I'm embarrassed to say it. So good, it's so good. <laughs> um, look, it's been a long show, so let's get to the cream of the crop. Just, okay. um, I mean, I, what? pick something to talk about this fight, and you have it. Um, uh, Charles Oliveira, uncrowned king right now. Um, the... Stuff with the scale in Phoenix, people feel like, hey, you know, like, was he on? Was he off? Was it, was the scale in the back off? Was the scale in the front off? Uh, you know, all of this stuff. If I'm not mistaken, 11 fight win streak. Looked fantastic. Stop Poirier. Stop Michael Chandler. Stop Justin Gaethje. Stop Poirier and Michael Chandler faster than Habib Nurmagomedov did. Um beat Tony Ferguson, just amazing run. And then you have the second part of Father's Plan in Islam Mahachev. 10-fight win streak, just absolutely is carrying the torch for his brother and, and, you know, figuratively and childhood friend, Habib, for the whole, you know, Abdul Manap and all of that crew in Dagestan. Carrying the torch for the American Kickboxing Academy. He's, I, I remember when I went to Abu Dhabi and I was like, well, what do you see? And uh, Javier said easily, well, Islam Mahachev. He's going to be our next guy after, you know, the yeah. the old guard of Kane, Habib, Luke, and DC, DC. right? Yeah. Yeah. 
And this guy, he's look fantastic. Just lightweight, uh, similar to Hamza Chimaev. Gets you down, does his thing. Um, absolutely cut from the cloth of the Dagestani wrestlers who smash people. There you go. Now, though, put these two styles together and it just makes for so much fun. Obviously, look, Charles overcome adversity in a bunch of fights, gotten it to the ground, does his thing. Islam been more dominant as of late, hasn't taken on the same level of competition. Will we see that kind of rear its head in the fight a a little bit? Is it going to be harder for him to do what he does against a guy like Charles? Secondly, 25 minutes. Second time that uh, Islam has been scheduled for it, hasn't really had to use him in the UFC. Could this be a factor now in this fight? Charles doesn't tend to go five rounds either, but he's been scheduled for more. We are now in this interesting fight that it's like, okay, all the size and power for Islam, how does he deal with it in the later rounds? There's so much about this fight. Stylistically, I think it really comes down to the striking. The win- In a fight like this with two great grapplers, it's the same thing. He who can dictate the striking, striking will dictate the grappling. If Charles could do his thing effectively and keep Islam off of him, it will more or less slow down the wrestling. May not do it completely. I think that Islam's best chances to stop this fight and get the job done quick are in the first round, obviously. Um, he's fresh, strong, fast. That's going to be the key. I think for Mahachev, the biggest key is going to be if he struggles in any way getting Charles Oliveira down or keeping him down, how does he deal with the striking, the Muay Thai, the knees, the elbows, all of these other weapons that I do believe are more polished on the side of Charles. Obviously, if Islam could keep him down, I would say he's one of the few grapplers who can hang in the guard of a guy like Charles. Charles is one of those rare high-level guys both off of his back and when he's on top of you. Usually it's only when they're on top that these black belts look like black belts. Charles is dangerous off of his back. But Islam, all that wrestling, I think he's ready for that. It's going to really come down to the striking. If Charles could get it done there, probably an easier route to victory. If he's struggling to keep Islam off of him, we could be in for a very long night, even for a guy as talented as him. That's my breakdown. Who actually prevails? I'm going to let you talk first. <laughs> okay. Did you see, have you seen the video of Charles Oliveira walking a lion? Homie. Or something on a leash? Bruh, the two kings <laughs> of the jungle, right? Dude. I mean, you know, I've never seen him scared in the cage. If you look closely at his face, he's smiling. But watch, study his body language and, you know, the, the fake smile. He is very aware of who's the who is the king of the jungle in that in that stroll. Okay, low key, you know, respectfully, they gave that lion the bottle of Benadryl, yeah, but of that's course. another that's the PETA in me. But let's right, continue. Yeah, they, they gave him a little uh, children's uh, children's night. I would feel safe walking that lion. <laughs> well, he didn't look like he felt that safe, but he shouldn't. You never know, man. But anyway, I just I just want to mention that because it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but so Charles Oliveira is this is what I see happening, okay? I think Islam's going to take him down in the first round and okay. probably keep him down for maybe two two minutes, two and a half minutes. What I think will happen after that is what we've seen happen time and time again in 
Charles Oliveira gets hurt in a fight. He did it against Michael Chandler. He did it against uh, Justin Gaethje. He comes back, and he beats your butt. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think Mahachev is going to trick everyone and make them think it's going to be a long night for Charles Oliveira, and then Charles Oliveira is going to come out round two, determined, renewed and determined. He's not going to lose this fight. And I think that he will finish Mahachev, believe it or not. I do see a finish. It's not going to happen in round two. But I think round four, he'll be able to... It's hard for me to predict a submission, but maybe he'll be able to finish him with strikes. I think uh, TKO Charles Oliveira round four. Boom. So you think he's going to be the one to end father's plan? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I do. I think he is. I really do. I think Charles Oliveira, I I won't call it his luck, but look, he's been hurt a lot in fights and he comes back and wins. That can't last forever. But I think he has enough in him to get hurt in this fight and come back and win. We'll see what happens with whoever he fights next. But in Abu Dhabi, um, UFC 280, he he will prevail once again. So there are a couple of fights that when the greats get in them, you kind of feel like that th- this could kind of be like the one, right? And I think about uh, the biggest one that always comes to mind is George St. Pierre, Johnny Hendricks. As great as GSP was, you kind of felt like, bro, just, I just got a different feeling about Johnny Hendricks, right? And just uh, look, uh, obviously yeah. down to the wire with that one with GSP and Johnny. This is that one for um, Charles that I'm like, I just feel differently about this one just because of the style and the attributes. I think the size of Islam makes him so difficult to keep off of you. Obviously, his skills as a wrestler and his ability to get you to where he wants you are obviously very difficult and dangerous for him to deal with. So I do think that that's a very big part of a of this whole fight it, stylistically for a guy like Charles who's been on a run and deserves all the credit to deal with. That being said, I always say, you know what, when it comes to these all-time greats, you can't act like that little bit of what makes them great isn't something they can use in a fight. I've said it about Anderson... Said it about GSP. Yes, all of those contenders are tough and young and hungry and want a piece of the action and all this and that. When it comes to the greats, they're a... Oh, Justin Gaethje for Habib was another great example. Their ability to pull something out and show just how great they are really is what makes the difference. And in that, for that specific reason, outside of the many qualities you and I both listed, I do believe in Charles Oliveira's ability to do what he needs to to keep his keep this fight standing when he wants it, yeah. to possibly get Mahachev on his back if he needs it. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to roll with it again because I like doing this tonight. <laughs> Charles Oliveira's second round submission in front of the blue corner, he is going to get the sub, he's going to stand up in front of Habib, he's going to motion the belt across his abs, looking right at the eagle, and there we go, 2023, let's do it. Wow, I like it. I, I like said it. it. <laughs> I said it here on MMA Daily. He is going to flex in front of Habib, and you know what? Habib's mama going to call him before they leave Abu Dhabi and say, are you just going to let him do that? She's going to say, I washed your shorts. 
Get back in there. <laughs> I watched the shorts. <laughs> For real. Son, it's time. We cannot like let it, this yes. stand. The honor of the family. <laughs> no, look. Uh, if there's one thing that will get Habib back, tell me that's not it. That's it. If he gets right, if he makes it a little bit disrespectful, that'll get him back Just in there. Just flex on Habib after you've choked out Islam in front of him. Oh, yep. my God. Did, I tell love me. it, man. The world will go crazy. I, I'm know? telling you, if there's if that doesn't bring back Habib, let me tell you something. They could have an alien invasion and like Space Jam to save the universe. <laughs> Habib wouldn't take the fight. No. If he doesn't accept this from Charles, he ain't going to accept that. That's all I'm saying. So <laughs> there we stand. Natalie, can you believe it? Next week, we still got more MMA. Calvin Cater against Arnold Allen. And you know, this kid named Jake Paul fighting this guy called Anderson Silva. Oh How gosh. about that? Uh, I'm so nervous. <laughs> Bro, I, I got to say this. Uh, for the for the diehards, every week combat sports fans, this is a very special two-week stretch for the MMA people. I think okay. it's got a lot to enjoy. And I just got to say, I... I am very proud to be part of this business on a t in a time like this where there's so much good stuff for everybody. It's it's pretty awesome. It really is. Well, Natalie, I'm not if you've hung on for the ride, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be doing it again on my YouTube channel, so stay tuned to check it out. I'm going to be with Hannah, aka Mrs. MMA Casual on Twitter and Instagram. You guys are not going to want to miss it this week. All my socials at Double G on TV. I am not in Abu Dhabi. I'll be hanging with you guys and enjoying it in uh, American time as it should be. You know, don't get me wrong. I love them over there, but man, it's the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, Did that's I tell you we? I went to the arena at like 7 p.m. for for the prelims. That's crazy. <laughs> that let me tell you something. I, I thought, bro, I, the sun may be up before I'm done. Do they give you lots of coffee or what do they? Oh yeah, they uh, had a whole machine. They, <laughs> they had the they had the works in there at that time. Mm. But I was like, dude, I'm, I was like expecting us. It's like five a.m. Oh, here comes Dana White. <laughs> 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 nah, but um, look, it was a great night. It was a great time. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for listening. Remember to like, comment, subscribe. We'll be back next week.